Book Six, Chapter Eleven of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book Six, Chapter Eleven, in which Richard Calmady bids the long-suffering reader farewell. The midsummer dusk had fallen drawing its soft dim mantle over the face of the land the white light walked the northern sky from west to east a nightingale sang in the big portugal laurel at the corner of the troco ground and was answered by another singer from the coppice across the valley bordering the trout stream that feeds the long water a fox barked sharply out in the warren beetles droned flying conspicuously upright straight on end through the warm air the churring of the night-jars as they flitted hither and thither over the beds of bracken and dog-roses like gigantic moths on quick silent wings formed a continuous accompaniment as of a spinning-wheel to the other sounds and dick ormiston laughed consumedly doubling himself together now and again and holding his slim sides in effort to moderate his explosive merriment he was in uproarious spirits back from school to-day and that nearly a month earlier than could by the most favourable process of calculation have been anticipated thanks to development of measles on the part of some much to be commended schoolfellows how he blessed those praiseworthy young sufferers and how he laughed watching the two heavy-headed lolloping half-grown bulldog puppies describe crazy circles upon the smooth turf in the deepening dusk seen thus in the half-light they appeared more than ever gnome-like humorously ugly and awkward they trod on their own ears tumbled over one another sprawled on the grass panting and grinning until their ecstatic owner incited them to further gyrations to dick this was a night of unbridled license had he not dined late had he not leave to sit up till half-past ten o'clock was he not going out bright and early to-morrow morning to see the horses galloped could life hold greater complement of good for a brave little ten-year-old soul and a slender serviceable little ten-year-old body emulous of all manly virtues and manly pastimes so the boy laughed and the sound of his laughter reached the ears both of the elder and the younger lady carmody as they slowly paced the straight walk between the grey balustrade and the edge of the turf on their left the great outstretch of valley and wood lay drowned in the suave uncertainties of the summer night before them was the whole terrace front of the house its stacks of twisted chimneys clear-cut against the sky bright light shone out from the windows of the red drawing-room and from those of the hall bringing flowers sections of grey pavement and like details into sharp relief there were passing lights in the range of windows above suggesting cheerful movement within the great house at the southern end of the terrace just below the arcade of the garden hall which showed pale against the shadow within and brickwork above two men were sitting their voices reached the ladies now and then in quiet yet animated talk a spirit of peace of security of firmly planted hope seemed to pervade all the scene all the place waking or sleeping fear was banished all was strong to work to-morrow so to-night all could calmly yield itself to rest 
and it was a sense of just this and a tender anxiety lest the fullness of the gracious content of it should be in any degree marred to her dear companion which made honoria carmody say presently you don't mind little dick's racketing with those ridiculous puppies do you cousin catherine if it bothers you i'll stop him like a shot but catherine shook her head my dearest child why stop him she said the foolishnesses of young creatures at play are delicious and laughter so long as it is not cruel i reckon among the good gifts of god she paused a moment dear marie de mirancourt tried to teach me that long ago but i was culpably dull of hearing in those days where spiritual truth was concerned and i failed to grasp her meaning i believe we never really love either man or almighty god until we can both laugh ourselves and let others laugh of all false doctrines that of the sour-faced joyless puritan is the falsest his mere outward aspect is a sin against the holy ghost and honoria smiled patting the hand which lay on her arm very tenderly oh how i love your heavenly rage she said they moved on a few steps in silence and then careless of all the rapture its notification of the passing of time might cut short the clock at the house stables chimed the half-hour honoria paused in her gentle walk bedtime dick she cried all right the boy returned he pursued and laid hold of the errant puppies stowing them not without kickings and strugglings on their part one under either arm they were large and heavy just as much as he could carry and he staggered across the grass with them presenting the effect of a small black donkey between a pair of very big white panniers i say they are awfully stunning though you know honoria he said rather breathlessly as he came up to her very soul satisfying aren't they dick she replied richard foresaw as much that is why he got them for you if i put them down do you suppose they'll follow carrying them does make my arms ache oh they'll follow fast enough honoria said he lowered the puppies circumspectly on to the gravel they'll be whoppers when they're grown he remarked and what shall you call them adam and eve i think because they're the first of my lot they're pedigree dogs and later i may want to show don't you see oh yes i see honoria said he came close to her putting his face up half shyly to be kissed then as young lady carmody somewhat ghostly in her trailing white evening dress bent her charming head the boy suddenly overcome with the manifold excitements of the day flung his arms round her oh oh he gasped how awfully ripping it is to be back here again with you and cousin richard and aunt catherine i wish number four dormitory would get the measles the middle of every term only i forgot perhaps i ought not to touch you honoria after messing about with the dogs do you mind not a bit she said oh, but honoria he rubbed his cool cheek against her bare neck i say don't you think you might come and see me just for a little weeny while after i'm in bed to-night and young lady carmody thus coaxed held the slight figure close she had a very special place in her heart for this small dick who in face and as she hoped in nature also 
bore such comfortable resemblance to that elder and altogether well-beloved dick who was the delight of her life yes dear old chap i'll come she said only it must really be for a little weeny while because you must go to sleep by the way who's going to valet you these holidays clara or falstitch oh neither the boy answered i think i'm rather old for women now don't you know honoria at which statement she laughed his cheek being again tucked tight into the turn of her neck i shall have andrews in future i asked cousin richard about it he's a very civil-mannered fellow and he knows about yachts and things and he says he likes being up before five o'clock oh does he excellently voracious young man honoria remarked but thereupon exuberance of joy demanding active expression the boy broke away with a whoop and set off running the puppies lolloped away at his heels and young lady carmody whom such giddy fancies still took at times notwithstanding nearly three years of marriage flew after the trio the train of her dress floating out behind her to most admired extravagance of length as she skimmed along the path fair lady boy and dogs disappeared with sounds of merriment into the near garden hall reappeared upon the terrace bearing down but at sobering pace upon the occupants of the chairs set at the end of it one man rose to his feet a tall narrow black figure the other remained seated the light shining forth from the great bay window of the hall touched the little group conferring a certain grandeur upon the graceful white-clad honoria her satin dress shimmered as she moved there was as of old a triumph of high purity of freedom of soul in her aspect her voice came with a fine gladness yet soft richness of tone across that intervening triangular space of sloping turf upon which terrace and troco ground alike looked down the nightingale who had fallen silent during the skirmish took up his passionate singing again and was answered delicately a song not of the flesh but of the spirit by the bird from across the valley catherine carmody stood solitary watching listening her hands folded rather high on her bosom the caressing suavity of the summer night enfolded her and remembrance came to her of another night nearly four-and-thirty years ago when standing in this same spot she young untried ambitious of unlimited delight had felt the first mysterious pangs of motherhood and told her husband of that new unseen life which was at once his and her own and of yet another night when after long experience of sorrow solitude and revolt her husband had come to her once again but come even as the bird-song came from across the valley etherealized spiritualized the same yet endowed with qualities of unearthly beauty and how that strange and exquisite communion with the dead had fortified her to endure an anguish even greater than any she had yet known she had prayed that night that she might behold the face of her well-beloved and her prayer had been granted she had prayed that without reservation she might be absorbed by and conform to the divine will and that prayer had as she humbly trusted been in great measure granted also but then 
the divine will had proved so very merciful the divine intention so wholly beneficent there was small credit in being conformed to either catherine bowed her head in thanksgiving the goodness of the almighty towards her had been abundant beyond asking or fondest hope she was aroused from her gracious meditation by the sound of footsteps measured a little weary perhaps approaching her she looked up to see julius march and a point of gentle anxiety pricked catherine for it occurred to her that julius had failed somewhat in health and energy of late she reproached herself lest in the interest of watching those vigorous young lives so dear to her participating in their schemes basking in the sunshine of their love she had neglected julius and failed to care for his comfort as she might to those that have shall be given even of sympathy even of strength in that there is an ironical as well as an equitable truth and she was to blame perhaps in the ironical application of it it followed therefore that she greeted him now with a quickening both of solicitude and of affection come and pace dear julius come and pace she said as in times past yet not wholly as in the past for then often i must have distressed and troubled you since my pacings were too often the outcome of restlessness and of unruly passion while now catherine broke off gazing at the little company gathered upon the terrace oh, surely they are very happy she said almost involuntarily and he smiling at his dear lady's incapacity of escape from her fixed idea replied yes very surely catherine tied the white lace coif she wore a little tighter beneath her chin in their happiness i renew that of my own youth she said gently as it is granted to few women i imagine to renew it but i renew it with a reverence for them since my own happiness was plain sailing enough obvious incontestable while theirs is nobler and rises to a higher plane for its roots after all are planted in very mournful fact to which it has risen superior and over which it has triumphed but he answered jealous of his dear lady's self-depreciation i can hardly admit that to begin in unclouded promise of happiness to decline to searching an unusual experience of sorrow and then by self-discipline and obedience to attain your present altitude of tranquillity and assurance of faith is surely a greater trial a greater triumph than to begin with difficulties with much i admit to overcome and resist but to succeed as they are succeeding and be granted the high land of happiness which they even now possess they are young fortune smiles on them above all they have one another oh yes she said they have one another and long may that last it is a very perfect marriage of true minds as well as true hearts i had and they have all that love can give lady carmody turned at the end of the walk but it troubles me as a sort of emptiness and waste dear julius that you have never had that it pains me that you who possess so noble a power of disinterested and untiring friendship 
should never have enjoyed that other and nearer relation which transcends friendship even as to-morrow's dawn will transcend in loveliness the chastened restfulness of this evening's dusk catherine moved onward with a certain sweet dignity of manner tell me is she still alive julius this lady whom you so loved yes thank god he said and you have never tried to elude that vow which as you once told me you made long ago before you knew her never he replied without it i could not have served her as i have been able to serve her i am wholly thankful for it it made much possible which must have otherwise been impossible and have you never told her that you loved her even yet no he replied because had i told her i must have ceased to serve her i must have left her catherine and i did not think god required that of me lady carmody walked on in silence her head a little bent at the end of the path she stood a moment listening to the answering songs of the two nightingales ah she said softly how greatly i have underrated the beauty of the dusk to submit to dwell in the borderland to stand on the dim bridge thus between day and night demands perhaps the very finest courage conceivable you have shown me julius how exquisite and holy a thing it is and as to her whom you have so faithfully loved i think could she know she would thank you very deeply for never telling her the truth she would entreat you to keep your secret to the end but to remain near her to let her seek counsel of you when in perplexity or distress to talk with her both of those you and she love and have loved and of the promise of fair things beyond and above our present seeing pacing with her at times even as you and i dear friend pace together here to-night amid the restrained and solemn beauty of the dusk would she not do this it is enough that you have done it for her catherine he answered with your ruling i am wholly unendingly content perhaps dicky and honoria's dear works of mercy and the noonday tide of energy which flows through the house have caused us to see less of each other than of old lady carmody continued with a charming lightness that is a mistake needing correction the young to the young dear julius you and i who go at a quieter pace will enjoy our peaceful friendship to the full i shall not tire of your company i promise you if you do not of mine long may you be spared to me god keep you most loyal friend good-night then lady carmody deeply touched yet unmoved from her altitude of thankfulness and calm musing of many matters and the working out of them to a beneficent and noble end slowly went the length of the terrace to where at the foot of the steps of the garden hall richard still sat as she came near he held out his hand to her dear sweet mother he said how i like to see you walk in that stately fashion the whole of you body mind and spirit somehow evident gathered up within the delicious compass of yourself as far back as i can remember anything i remember that 
when i watched you it always made me feel safe it seemed more like music heard somehow than something seen oh dicky dicky she exclaimed flushing a little don't make me vain in my old age but it's true he said and why shouldn't one tell the pretty truths as well as the plain ones isn't it a positively divine night look at the moon just clearing the top of the firs there oh, it is good to be alive mother may i say it i am very grateful to you for having brought me into the world oh but my poor darling catherine cried oh no no he said put that out of your dear head once and for all i am grateful being as i am grateful for everything it being as it is i don't believe i would have anything not anything save those four years when i left you altered even if i could i found my work and it enlarges its borders in all manner of directions and it prospers and i have money to put it through and i have that boy he's a dear little chap and it's wonderfully good of uncle roger and mary to give him to me but he's getting a trifle too fond of horses i can't break poor old chiffney's heart but when his days are numbered those of the stables as far as training racers go are numbered likewise i think i'll keep on the stud farm but i grow doubtful about the rest i wish it wasn't so but so it is sport is changing hands passing from those of romance into those of commerce well the stables serve their turn they help to bring me through but now perhaps they're a little out of the picture richard drew her hand nearer and kissed it leaning back in his chair and looking up at her and i have you he said you most perfect of mothers and ah here comes honoria End of chapter 11 of book 6 End of the History of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet